morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm your host, Charlie Shrem, and you're listening and watching another epic episode of The Charlie Shrem Show, where together for over five years, we've been diving deep with all of Bitcoin and crypto's influential leaders, OGs, CEOs, those who are building out some of the coolest companies, the projects, building out the technology and understanding how this movement came to be, where we are right now. It seems like finishing the summertime, Bitcoin has been in this bull market. A lot of cryptos have been doing really well, too. There's been a lot of like growth in the industry and month over month, stablecoin growth, volume, influx of new money coming in, venture capital, investing, projects that are bringing products to market, money's coming in, good user interfaces. We've gotten rid of the old shit from the last bull and bear market, and that's all gone now. And the stuff that remains has rejiggered itself and made itself above board, transparent, and good companies and good projects. The newer ones are hopefully following in the red flags of the old ones. And that's a really good way to tell what projects you like in this new bull market is if that you just look at them and you say like, how have they learned or how they are they doing anything different than the companies that came out of like 2017 or 2020 or whatever. I'm really excited to have on the show today, Zach Townsend. Zach, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Charlie. Happy to be here. Yeah, man. So you are a super cool company and I'm really excited to have you on the show. We're talking about Bitcoin. You offer life insurance in Bitcoin. You're the first and only life insurance company denominated in Bitcoin. It is so cool because you allow your loved ones to get a fixed payout no matter when you die. There's so much to go on here, but you're one of those companies that you're denominated in Bitcoin. You're you're a Bitcoin. You're not just like, oh, we're servicing the Bitcoin economy, but you're, you're pricing. But not only that, but your whole future business model and, and what people do with Bitcoin you're built, you built your business model around that. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the first thing to say is just like we, my co-founder and I, we're big believers in Bitcoin and we think that there is something really special, um, not just about it as like a technical innovation, but also like, you know, a social innovation. And fundamentally we look at 10, 20, 30, 40 years and say, okay, we think there's going to be a Bitcoin economy. So we think there's going to be not just that like Bitcoin is going to go up in value, but also like more and more things will be in Bitcoin. Like things will be, we'll trade things in Bitcoin, we'll settle in Bitcoin, we'll borrow and lend in Bitcoin, that it won't necessarily displace every dollar in the world. But you know, if you think that America is the biggest economy right now, China is the second biggest economy, like we think that the Bitcoin economy could be the third, fourth, fifth largest economy in the world, right? What we came at that with that belief, you know, we're fintech entrepreneurs by background, and we were sort of thinking and ideating around all these different ideas about like, what could we build for the Bitcoin economy? There's a lot of people working on payments. And obviously, there's a lot of people working on like what I would call like foreign exchange, like how do you turn dollars into Bitcoin or Bitcoin into dollars or Bitcoin into ETH? And we settled on building a Bitcoin denominated life insurance company because life insurance, you, know, you said it, it's about yeah. passing things on to your loved ones. But it's really, it's like one of the oldest financial products in the world. It's well, the like original savings product was actually like burial insurance and Italy, you know, five or six hundred years ago. Yeah. So it's quite like core. And then to your point, we've just decided to do everything in Bitcoin. And we've we've worked closely with our regulator, which is the Bermuda Monetary Authority, to make that happen. So that means our balance sheets in Bitcoin, our income statement is in Bitcoin. People pay us in Bitcoin, we pay out in Bitcoin. And that creates, you know, a lot of like nitty-gritty complications with like gap and financials and stuff. But like fundamentally, it goes back to the old Bitcoin mantra that like one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. And 
what's nice is, you know, over the two years we've been running this company, the exchange rate of Bitcoin has been 60,000, it's been 15,000, it's been, you know, now whatever it is, 38,000. And our fundamental business model, our like assets and our liabilities, they've just stayed the same. Hmm. They don't vary, right? Because people give us Bitcoin and then we make them promises in Bitcoin. We don't really have to worry about that exchange rate. And fundamentally, that makes the company safer for our users. It makes it easier to manage for us. And it you know is built for the long term. I think that we'll see, I hope that we'll see more and more companies that find ways to denominate themselves, like literally denominate their balance sheets and their financials in Bitcoin. Like if you're a marathon or Epic, I think it would make a lot more sense for them to think of themselves as a company operating in Bitcoin that then has some dollar expenses rather than a dollar company that happens to produce some Bitcoin. Interesting. So like, I really appreciate what you're saying about running a Bitcoin denominated only business because you have so many businesses that were Bitcoin businesses over the years. And like you start with BitPay, the first one back in like 2010, I think they launched. They've always been able to like pivot and change their business model because they just they're a Bitcoin only company. So they hold Bitcoin on their balance sheet. They transact in Bitcoin. And then so when Bitcoin's up, it's great. But when it's down, it still doesn't, everything's denominated. Your pricing goes down. So it's like almost like follows like an inflation. And so I want to have a Bitcoin policy because I believe that Bitcoin will have a preset inflation rate that'll follow for decades and decades. And if I pass away, I would love to have my loved ones get some Bitcoin. But more importantly, I believe that the value of Bitcoin will be a lot higher down the road. And so the value to them is is later on. And so I could see how that would be very attractive for a lot of people, especially during a bear market, because during a bear market yes. is when they would want to be getting Bitcoin. When it's, oh, now I mean, Bitcoin has been through like 10 or 11 or 12 of these bull and bear markets now. So you kind of know they're secular at this point and, we're, and, and the halvings and everything. So, but I think I'm jumping too far because I'm very excited. The listeners know that when I talk too much, it's because I'm very excited about something. But tell me like about the policies. What do they look like? Am I a good customer for them? Like what? You're a perfect customer. Well, I, I don't know if you're uh, married and have kids, but I, I'm married. Uh, no but matter no what, kids, but we have our family. Oh, that we well, married, married's great. You don't have to be, uh, and we do have some users who are neither married or have kids. One of the things that's nice about Bitcoin is I I feel like you get to start over and do things in a simpler way, and yeah. often the simpler way is like the better way for users. So our policy is like pretty straightforward to understand. It's called a whole life policy. So that means it lasts your whole life. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but eventually you're likely to die, Charlie. Hopefully that'll be in 50, 60, 70 years. It'll be a long time away. Because the policy lasts your whole life, your loved ones will eventually get the payout. So you put in premium to the policy, it lasts your whole life, eventually you die. Now, if you die tomorrow, obviously it's going to seem like a much bigger payout in compared to what you put in, but it does like provide real protection in case you die young. But also, yeah. you know, if you live till you're 100, your family would, would still get this payout. So it's a whole life policy. And then it's called, we do limited pay. And what that basically means is instead of paying like forever, you can pay basically in 10 equal installments or we let people prepay, which is sort of up, up to folks. So a typical policy might look like you pay one Bitcoin a year for 10 years. And then we make a promise to your loved ones of some amount, depending on how old you are and whether you smoke or not. But like you could imagine it's 18 or 20 or something like that. 
And I like to be really upfront that you know we operate like a normal life insurance company denominated in Bitcoin. So there are some like things that can be tough for I think diehard Bitcoiners, but are like what makes the whole thing work. So you pay us in Bitcoin. So you're like we're custing some amount of your Bitcoin, the Bitcoin you give us, and then how we turn ten into twenty is that we lend Bitcoin to other people. And to your point about learning the lessons of every cycle. We are a very, very conservative lender and we have you know, risk management policies, we have a board, we have a regulator. So basically, we're making pretty small promises to you. In fact, the minimum promises we can make to be called life insurance in the United States. Mm-hmm. And then we go get a little bit more yield than that. And then through that mechanism, we like have that simple policy of like, you give us 10 over 10 years, we promise your loved ones 20. That's the that's the product. It doesn't matter what the price of Bitcoin. Can someone give you 10 Bitcoin? Correct. Now? Is that like the typical policy or it could be like less than that or greater than that? Oh, it can be it can be less than that and greater than that. I was just interested easy to say one Bitcoin a year for 10 years. Interesting. We do have a, a max right now. Um, you know, we're a startup. We're very conservative. Like one of the interesting things yeah. about learning the lessons of the cycles, as you said, Charlie, is that, you know, this is a company that we need to make decisions so that it lasts like a century or more, right? Like we hope you live a very long time and we need this company to live a very long time. So we make really deliberate and conservative choices. And one of those choices is just, you know, again, to be conservative on the lending and to write out. But to your point, yes, the Bitcoin is just like you give us 10, we promise you your loved ones are 20. And if, if the 20 Bitcoin is worth a million dollars a coin in 30 years, that's what they get. Because we keep everything on our balance sheet, as we talked about, like in Bitcoin. Have you been traveling to conferences and talking to people about about your product? Like, tell me about the life cycle, about you guys were sitting around talking yeah. about this. And you, the idea came up, you must have had to get feedback. That's kind of the, that's where most of my ideas stop because some people say, yeah, it's cool or whatever. But, you know, I always think my ideas are like, I'm ready to buy them. But so how did you notice to, to take it to that yeah. next level? Yeah, it is the case that so um, actually it was about two years ago. So around Thanksgiving 2021, my co-founder and I met and we were ideating some ideas and we came up with this one. You know, we sort of put it aside and, and then for both of us, we like couldn't get it out of our head. You know, we kept thinking about it, kept thinking about the opportunities and the potential. Mm. And yeah, did exactly what you said. We started to talk to some users. We got some good feedback. And I think one of the big things that we haven't talked about is that life insurance is all life insurance products, not just this one, tend to have a very, very good tax treatment. They tend to be very, they have a privileged tax position, right? So, and I can describe that more, but I think once we understood those benefits and understood how to explain those benefits to people, it became a lot clearer to people. Because I think for, look, I don't know how old you are, Charlie, but like I'm in my 30s, like most of the people in uh, Bitcoin and crypto are like in their 20s, 30s, 40s. You know, life insurance is not the thing that comes to mind. But I think that understanding the protection it provides your family, being a believer in Bitcoin, and then understanding like the long-term tax benefits, I think like combined to, yes, us talking to users, getting positive feedback. Let me take a step back though and you're like, life course of the company. So we found the company in like January-ish 2022. We raised some money and it took us about a year to get licensed. So we had to like 
write a 50-page business plan. We had to set up, you know, we had to get directors for an independent board uh, in Bermuda. We had to write this giant business plan. We had to create any money laundering procedure. We had to oh. do all this work. So it took us about a year to get licensed. And then it took us another like six or nine months. So that's this year, like operationalize that. So we have all these really boring things, right? We have like an enterprise risk management framework. We have an investment policy. We have like board committees, uh, all this stuff we had. And then we had to like create the application to apply for life insurance. We had to be able to underwrite people. We had to be able to know your customer and any money laundering stuff. So it, yeah. it took us about a year to get licensed and it took us like six or nine months to operationalize this all. And then we started to sell policies now or started to have users buy policies. And on conferences, um, you know, right now, yeah, I went to BTC Miami. I intended to go to nice. BTC um, Nashville next year. I guess it's a much smaller conference, but I just got invited to Satoshi Roundtable. Yep. But in general, you know, it's very um, like talking to folks like you, Charlie, talking on podcasts, like doing some media, and then really like the policies are complicated and they're big decisions. Like it's a big decision to decide to pay someone ten Bitcoin, right? So yeah. what we do is we I talk to literally every one of our users. So if you come to our website and you sign up right now and you mm-hmm. express interest on your end, you'll end up getting an email from me setting up time. Like we usually like talk for an hour. So it's a very like personal hand to hand understanding that you're married, understanding what that means. And then like people tend to have a lot of questions like who's our custodian? Like what are your sure. how do you do this lending? Like yeah. How's this policy work again? So it's not a lot of like giving a speech up on stage and a thousand people sign up. It's giving a speech up on a stage. 50 people go to our website. We have calls with 30 of them. Um, and then we, we have a pretty good close rate after that. Like if I can have a good hour long, 30, hour long, 30 minutes hour long call, people will sign up. Now, it, it, do you, the, the Bitcoin that I, that theoretically that I've put in, can you borrow against it? Is it? redeemable if you don't want yeah. to finish out the, the term obviously you'd have like consequences and stuff yeah, that's like one that. of the biggest benefits so like um and this is just true of whole life policies it just happens to be the artist nominated in bitcoin is that over time there's a, a value accumulating in the policy and then we do policy loans in bitcoin what's nice about that is those loans are also denominated in bitcoin so if in 10 years you wanted to borrow one Bitcoin out of your policy, that would be a new Bitcoin. It'd be like a new tax basis Bitcoin. So if you put in Bitcoin at 38,000 and then Bitcoin's at 380,000 or 3.8 million and you borrow one out, then that's a tax-free policy. Yeah, I understand. There's no, there's no like, you're not, it's not your Bitcoin that you're now paying like a capital gain on all the way. You're just borrowing against your own Bitcoin. Brilliant. Correct. It's very cool. Again, it allows. And again, that's not that. That's something that's true of all whole life policies. Is sure. Part of the why we did the design. Um, How do I? And it just has the extra benefit of if you if like I think the two of us, you think Bitcoin is going to go up a lot, then that's a real it's a real benefit. You probably were sitting around saying, "Wow, these like life insurance policies get a bad rap in the world." Like I'm going to go and take Bitcoin that's really complicated. I'm going to take life insurance that's really complicated. I'm going to merge them together and make something super complicated. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly the case that I I joke that we have all the problems of a life insurance company and all the problems of a crypto company. Yeah, Um, yeah, that's great. But I, um, I think the truth is that, as I said, these are like core financial needs and we really strive to make it straightforward and simple. I think that life insurance is is at its heart a pretty like important product that lots of people should have. 
Yeah, they don't care. And it's made like needlessly complicated. I mean, it's partially just emotionally complicated because you're talking about dying. Yeah. But then I think it's also like made financially complicated. Like policies often it's like indexed to this thing and then like, you know, but you have principal protection and there's this rider and there's that rider. It's like so complicated. And what's nice about getting to basically go to this whole new economy, the Bitcoin economy, and start something that no one else has, which is a new life insurance company, is we've gotten to what you said. We've gotten to do user research. We've gotten to really talk to people. We've gotten to really understand what people actually care about. And then we have designed a straightforward, pretty easy to understand product. And then we can communicate that with people. That's beautiful. What happens if your company disappears? Like, And these are long-term yeah. products. Yeah. Um, it depends what you mean by disappear. I'm going to take the optimistic perspective, which is like, let's say we just don't have as much business as we want to. We have, again, to just be so conservative and um, careful. Uh, we've given ourselves a lot of ways to cancel the policies and give everyone their money back, okay. um, to just really make sure that you know we're this super regulated entity. We're a startup. But and the most important thing to our customers is for, for us is that our customers are protected and they're made whole. I wish it went without saying, but I guess I, I need to say that includes things like we have segregated accounts. You know, there's our no, you, money. It's, a, it's important that you <laughs> and, say and that. there's there's our policyholders' money, and they're yep. literally separated. And we we are required by our regulator, like every life insurer, to put up capital. Right. So every time we write a policy. We have to put up some of our own Bitcoin to support the value of that policy and the value oh, of that policy. Yeah, so we we have a capital base. Like we have to do these calculations, like actuarial calculations and risk measures to 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 put up our own capital, which protects our like our users. If we ever had a you know a, a bad loan, we would lose money first. If we ever had an unexpectedly large number of people died, like what if Bitcoin we would goes for a million first. dollars tomorrow. And some people die. No, actually, that doesn't make any difference, right? Because because everything's in Bitcoin, in the dollars. If you're just joining us again, Zach Townsend, you're the CEO of Meanwhile, a really cool first ever digital asset denominated life insurance provider. We've been talking about you for a while, a really good conversation, but I wanted to, to come back and I was thinking about something interesting. You raised money during a very difficult time to raise money, like it was bear market, you know, almost a year ago. And you raised from some pretty big people, Sam Altman from, from the CEO of ChatGBT, OpenAI. You had some uh, Google, Gradient Ventures, which is part of Google, some other pretty big names, you know, folks who you could say were probably very skeptical of Bitcoin and crypto up until now. How did you win them over? Yeah. Well, um, we raised the funding in, two, in really like two different rounds or two different tranches, I guess. And the first one uh, was in January 2021. So I'll say that that was obviously a more optimistic time in crypto. And Lockie, uh, Lockie's a sort of solo capitalist who uh, worked at Stripe and then spun out and has a, a pretty successful, um, quite successful venture portfolio. And him and Sam co-led that first round. They're not huge in crypto, but I think that 
they really attached to maybe the, the cleverness of the idea um, or the putting it all on Bitcoin. I knew both of them pretty well. And I think that, you know, we we talk about the company in pretty big strokes. Like we want to be the world's largest life insurance company. We want to reach a billion people, uh, which is like four or five times more people than any existing life insurance company. And like we see digital money in general, Bitcoin in particular, as the as like one of the tools combined with some automation and some AI to to make that possible. And I think that that, that vision um, really resonated with them. And they also saw that although they weren't, uh, those two particular people weren't hardcore Bitcoiners, they you know, saw that there is a cul- the culture of hodling Thought as a store of value, and I think that was quite uh, prescient on their part. But that was the first like um, seven million dollars or so. It was two of them, and then like a whole bunch of angels, so like yeah. Dylan Field and Parker Conrad and Dan Ramiro and Mark Chagava and, and um, you know, just a bunch of people. And um, and then later, uh, really about a year later, so this is like after FTX, and you're completely right. Like things had sort of <laughs> fallen apart. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of skepticism. You know, Bitcoin was probably at like 17, 18,000. And I really looked out and said, hey, you know, I want my Series A to be led by a crypto player. I don't know who that will be, but you can fill in the blank and whoever your favorite crypto VC is. Yeah. And I don't think that they'll know very much about life insurance. So really the, that like extension. Or yeah. <laughs> well, that, the, 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 the theory of that extension was... Yeah, so I went and was like, okay, I want to go get like Northwestern Mutual, the biggest life insurer in the U.S., and Morrow Capital, which is Santander's um, VC, and MSNAD, which is a big Japanese life. Like they all have like corporate venture capital arms. And actually, how that round started is I was like, okay, I want to have some like big people who know a bunch about life insurance and asset management. I'm gonna go convince them that this is an amazing idea, or at least that they should have some exposure to this idea, like it's a levered bet on Bitcoin. And and that way also I can when I roll into my Series A, I don't I don't want to have to be explaining like actuarial models to whatever you know Polychain like or Paradigm or Pantera, they all have P's for some reason. Anyway, if I'm explaining life insurance like nitty gritty to them, like I'm I'm gonna fail. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna just go get these names who really know life insurance, and they can validate that like we figured out what we're talking about, so that um, you know my next round can be a bunch of crypto people. And so that like came together. And then really what happened is that, you know, Stillmark, which is a Bitcoin focused fund, was like, oh, we hear you're doing this round and we participate. And Gradient was quite similar. Like they, they knew that Sam had invested, but actually the, the managing partner of Gradient just herself knows about these life insurance policies, like these big life insurance policies that high net worth individuals use. She's like an early Googler, like a thing that she, I, I don't know if she has, but but she knows the people who use this life insurance policies. Yeah. And they're also like in crypto. So that's why how they ended up like very late in the round. They were like, oh, really driven by Anna. Um, yeah, this this sort of, um, this makes sense. And that, and, and that's that, that's how it all came together. Well, can I actually tell you a funny story though, just so on fundraising, please, and the market changing. So, I guess eighteen months ago, I was at Crypto Bahamas. Were you at Crypto Bahamas? Which is like no, but I, re- I remember it. it was yeah, Crypto Bahamas was the Aikman Freed thing. Yeah, it was like the absolute top in retrospect. It was right, right there, you know, Tom Brady and Bill Clinton. I was and, at the Cannes Film Festival actually. Well, I I might have preferred that actually. Um, <laughs> I was hanging out with CZ actually. He was yeah, well, was <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're having champagne, so, watching Top Gun premiere. At the oh, there you go. So it felt like the absolute top. Everyone, like so many people are there, Crypto Bahamas. So we we 
were like basically pitching people on a preemptive Series A, right? So this time, like we hadn't really accomplished anything. We weren't licensed. We just had this idea, but like that was how how manic things were. We got a term sheet, and then and then t- yeah, Tara, Luna, like the whole, like that Wednesday, the Wednesday after, we had. We had told everyone, hey, we have this term sheet. We're running a process. Like, tell us by Friday. And then Tara blew up on Wednesday. <laughs> oh, my God. So then everyone's like, thanks, but no thanks. Um, mm. We're going to see how this sets out. Um, so, you know, obviously, in the end, it all worked out. We've had a great fundraising story. But, oh, um, my God. It, it, it was this, like, it felt so brutal at the time. Like, the term sheet got pulled. We everyone was really excited, and then like everyone was like, "No, you know, no, thank you." Um, so you know, I think one of the fun things about being a second-time entrepreneur is maybe the highs aren't as high and the lows aren't as low. We try, like both my co-founder and I, we try to stay a little mellow. And you know, it's a it's a roller coaster when you're running a company. You gave us a lot of lessons there, actually, especially when you have a good idea and you're trying to do something like crypto, but incumbent. Don't go for the crypto VC first. And I know a lot of people that struggled with that that came to our crypto VC fund with an idea where they were like trying to, they're trying to like, oh, we want, you know, we have this. And honestly, a lot of these ideas, phenomenal ideas, like rebuild this specific sector of the world using Bitcoin or some tokenized mechan- you know, mechanism on a blockchain. But we will pass if we feel like it's out of our league or something that we purely 100% don't understand unless we're investing alongside someone or they have other people that are investing that do understand what you're doing. So to go to like that life insurance, you know, people understand that and what your incumbent, you know, the industry that you were trying to, basically you're trying to demolish it and rebuild it and take it over, which is That's awesome. not how I frame it to them. No, I know, but that's, <laughs> that's a great, that's a great lesson. And it makes me think, cause you know, I'm definitely on the cusp of trying to start another business soon. So, you know, I'm always going to be thinking about that. So thanks for that lesson right there. Well, I think another hard thing about it that we talked about earlier is um, you know, the way we present the business to the regulator is we've tried to get to like the smallest number of differences that we can have to run the business. So like when I look out 10 years, like do we want to you know, think of underwriting in a new way? Do we want to think about maybe doing something more on the blockchain? Do we want to, um, you know, we have a lot of ideas about like pulling apart different types of mortality and all this stuff. So our long-term vision is even like more crypto, more decentralized than our current vision. You know, the way we went to the regulator was we said, hey, we're going to run a really boring life insurance company. It's going to like do everything in normal, boring ways, except the whole thing is going to be denominated in Bitcoin. And they were able to wrap their head around that. And then over time, I think we'll layer things on. But that has been a struggle with some investors because some investors are, you know, we have a, we get a lot of like, oh, you're too crypto for me. And then we get a lot of like, well, you're not quite crypto enough for me because you don't have a token or whatever. If you get someone who's a believer that Bitcoin will be zero down the road, then then yeah, that they're like not your investor either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, but the other thing I'd say just to like a lesson learned is you don't have to have everyone agree with you. You just have to have... Good point. Enough people agree with you. You know what I mean? Like we're funded. We've we've been we've been fortunate to raise a bunch of money, and we I think we'll raise more money in the future. And it just doesn't matter if fifty people are like, "This is too much crypto for me," and fifty other people are like, "This has not enough crypto for me." You know, in the end, we're running the business, we're building it. You know, we're excited. Our investors are excited, and that's all that matters. And so now that you're going in, we're going into this bull market. Do you get nervous? 
to, of hype cycles because I, I do. How, it's hard to build a Bitcoin denominated business when everything is based on the prices go up and then they go down and they go up. Like, wouldn't you much rather a like 5% or actually 15% year over year, 20% or high, like some sort of like growth yeah. rate that we can rely on year over year? We'll probably get there. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I think the fortunate thing about like thinking about life insurance is we really try to, I mean, obviously, like everyone else, I, you know, see that it's over 40 now. And, <laughs> you know, I, I think about how much that represents in dollars. But on a, a business level, you know, it, it doesn't, we try not to think about it and that it like, doesn't really affect what we're doing. I think what's counterintuitive to me is that our product is more valuable the lower Bitcoin. I mean, if you think Bitcoin is going to go up in the long term, but it's like worth less now, then um, you should come into the policy because there's tax advantages as the Bitcoin grows inside the policy. The value of Bitcoin grows inside the policy. But counterintuitively, like that's when people are like, they're feeling poor, they're they're anxious, you know, they don't want to part with their Bitcoin, which maybe a significant part of the world. Now Bitcoin's higher, they feel wealthier, they want to put Bitcoin to work to into work. the policies. It should have been easier to sell when Bitcoin was low, but now obviously it's easier to sell when Bitcoin is higher. So. But it's the it's also like every crop of bear market people become they go in the next bull right. market. Those are like and then the, it's it's it becomes like a secular thing. And also you learn a lot about oh, tax yeah. law by being in the crypto <laughs> world. So, so people, a lot of my listeners are like, oh yes, I actually do understand like the advantages of this because we have to think about these things. Yeah, I've learned more about taxes now. If someone's going- Can I just add from, one thing? Sorry, is that one of my yeah. investors said to me pretty early, right when the, I guess the bear market began, he, he just said like, oh, best thing to do in crypto is to build during the bear and then you like reap, reap your efforts in the bull. And I took that to heart. You know, I think um, this bear market, if we are coming out of it, like hasn't been as long as some others like you've experienced. And I don't, uh, we like kept our heads down, like fortunate to have the runway and just, you know, kept building. And I hope now that we'll have a, another bull run that um, you know, we're set up for success. You're a hundred percent right. It, it, first of all, we don't know yeah, if exactly. it's over. Like just because the price is up, I hope it is. But at the same time, it was one of the longest ones that I went through. And it was probably the hardest one because I'm older <laughs> and have a family now. And this is exactly uh, why you need things are Bitcoin different. You know? Yeah, I do need some Bitcoin life insurance. Well, I'm going to check it out. The listeners are. Zach, thanks so much for coming on the show today, taking the time. Yeah, I'll I really appreciate soon. it. So if you're just joining us, we're talking to Ali Hussein, founder of Navigate. You started off your career at Microsoft, where you drove the development of Dynamics AX mobile applications and later transitioned to Spark Cognition, an award-winning industrial AI company, where you played a pivotal role as the director of solutions. And you kind of like understand this crossroads of crypto and AI. You helped some aviation projects. SkyGrid, and now we're talking about Navigate. Why is it a very exciting time to be building in the space right now? I, I've been involved in crypto since 2015 is when I got properly involved. 
I heard of it before then, but didn't really dive in. Sure. I think it's personally just times like these when you can easily filter out the signal from the noise because there's very little noise. So the people that you connect with, the things that you had piled up that you wanted to learn, the time that you wanted to spend on stuff but didn't really get to when yeah. you know Twitter was a buzz and all of that craziness. So it's a good time to focus. That's such a great perspective. You're so right. Right now, it's so much easier to filter the signal through the noise. Mm. But it's almost like you, because it's too easy, not too easy, but because it's so much easier and you and I having gone through that, where it's like crazier on the other side, it's almost like doubt even the really good. You start doubting it. Yeah, you start 100%. like creates a situation because really like there's some amazing technologies. The episodes that we do during the bear markets are considerably better than the episodes that we do during the bull markets. And I, I can't understand why. And I think it's the quality of like, even like what we, what you're doing. It's, I guess the, the further along we get in the bear market, the less crap that can survive. Basically. And, and also the fact that people who stick around that much more likely to be very interested in what they're doing. I think those are probably the two kind of key distinctions. You're essentially creating a an AI mapping platform using crowdsourced data. And this is not a new problem. Hmm. I think people have been trying to decentralize and crowdsource data and, and mapping data too for a very long time. But what is AI nowadays? What technology breakthroughs have helped you kind of, do you see now like as a leap forward that you can solve that problem? I think probably the easiest one to point to is uh, all of the exciting stuff that's been happening on the generative AI front, you know, with chat GPT. And um, if you even look at the updates that were announced yesterday about chat GPT becoming multimodal, and what that meant was that it's now able to understand more than just text as input. You can, you know, give it pictures and videos and all of that stuff. So I think that's something that translates very well into creating experiences that are easy for people to consume. That's on kind of the, the front end side of it. As far as the platform goes on the back end, there's a lot of machine learning techniques that you're able to apply, machine learning models that you're able to use to extract more data from all of these images whether it's being able to you know, segment an image that you get and extract buildings and cars. And you still have humans in the loop kind of labeling some of that data or having to correct some of it. But the technologies there increase your productivity many fold. So I think with, with those two aspects of AI, generative on the front end, where it's easier to communicate to the average user, and then all of the ML techniques on the back end to extract more information. I think that creates a pipeline where you can deliver much higher quality content. On the first side of it, the generative, I think that's yeah. where people are kind of like afraid where you see some of these jobs like being taken over, like customer service or people like working in these industries are like, like scrambling to go learn how AI, like what do you do when you have a job that you know is going to be directly impacted by something like, like what you just described, where you call, you know, high end customer support and you need help mm -hmm. now. Like sometimes like there are some things 
that the the way it is now, when you call customer service, it doesn't work very well. But you could totally see that in a product that's created, catered, very similar to ChatGPT, where you're calling customer support. Now that ChatGPT yeah. can understand, I could see how that could like immediately. So what are those people doing? Are they the ones creating these solutions now? I'm just curious. I don't know if there's an answer. That that's a that's a very interesting question, and you know it, this goes from technology to philosophy pretty quick because you you have all of these overarching societal issues to talk about. But I think my take on that is, I mean, just looking at you know uh, customer service and call centers as one particular example, and then focusing on the U.S. and then moving out of here and you know spreading out through the rest of the world. Not a lot of call centers are run outside of the U.S. Right, the majority of call centers are running out of other countries where we have already been outsourcing jobs that folks in the US have not been doing. So the way I look at any technology really, and generative AI is is no different, I think there will be some instances of some tasks that humans will no longer need to do. Hmm. But more than that, there will be a lot of productivity enhancements that you'll be able to, you know, you. I don't know if you've heard these terms yet, but 10x developer and 10x this and 10x that. Yeah. The, the idea behind all of that is that if there's this new tooling and if you know and understand how to use it properly, you still need to give input. You still need to be the driver. For supervision. But you get more. Yes. And so, you know, there are there are lots of examples of this. I mean, people have used um, chat GPT to do two or three jobs simultaneously yep. and make more money. And I'm talking about, you know, folks in the Asian continent and all of all around the world, really. So I think there is always some sort of elimination of tasks that were previously performed by us, yeah. by humans. But at the same time, you're creating a lot more avenues for people to do new work. You said it. I mean, I'll give myself as, as an example to that. Like it has helped me infinitely take things that are in my brain and put them down into paper and explain things. And just for example, like there was a company that I wanted to invest in recently. I wanted to do a very specific type of incentive metric mechanism where as the company grows, there are certain type of further milestones of investment, but it needed to be conveyed in a very complicated way based on their ARR and things like that. Hmm. As I never went to school as an investment banker, I never learned some of these things. So I would it literally just took all this data and how a long conversation with ChatGPT the other day. And it helped me create like a two-page proposal of just kind of what I was trying to explain. No, it's it's very good at that kind of stuff. I also talk to ChatGPT quite a lot. <laughs> it uh, sounds a little strange when one says it like that, yeah, but I think point. a lot of us are talking to ChatGPT these days. Everyone is, they just don't want to admit it. I think it has really helped and it's such a primitive thing so far because it's not, it, it's just like the cusp of what can really be done, but it definitely helps Absolutely. the communication between the, our brain and the computer. And I think I said this, I had a conversation with someone like, oh man, this guy, this guy could have been Satoshi himself. It was like an episode five years ago. <laughs> and he said, Charlie, every technology from language to the wheel, to the printing press, every mm -hmm. 
everything, the motivation, it looks on the outset like money survival, but really everything that has always been invented is always about figuring out ways to make the communication between two brains a lot more efficient. And in, and that's like our brains are like subconsciously trying to like talk to like one day we'll have telepathy and things like that just because it's the natural course. Our brains want to have more communication. It's survival. Mm -hmm. Our brains know that in the future, it's going to need to excel in, our, in its growth in order to survive whatever is coming hundreds, if not thousands of years from now. I mean, this is a wacky episode, but I believe it and I live by it. No, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're seeing yeah. crazy, crazy stuff. There's the <laughs> first Neuralink chip that's, uh, I think, being uh, transplanted here soon, I implanted uh, soon. So exciting times. Okay. I don't think uh, telepathy is so crazy. <laughs> Okay, so if you're just joining us, we're talking to Ali Hussein, founder of Navigate, and we're talking about, we've kind of diverted and digressed and ha having some fun here, but I want to understand, going back to like, because I love mapping, like I remember when, um, remember when like Microsoft Street Maps first came out and you had to buy, oh shit, did you work on that? You had to like buy, it came with a chip back in the day. You're too young for that though. I did not work on that. <laughs> Do you remember that? That so so what i don't actually remember microsoft street maps there have been a lot of uh microsoft products that kind of was that what allowed, it was called i don't remember hearing about that it may not have hold on that's there was some sort of like it may not have been a microsoft but there was a cd that you'd have to go to the store and buy and it actually came okay. with like a gps chip that you plugged into your computer and that was the first way to like have maps and your computer like in real time and figure out like where you are and i thought that was like such a groundbreaking thing but fast forward to now 2023 because in those days like phones and computers didn't have gps trips by default yeah. let alone cellular ones so what problem is navigate trying to solve so the problem that navigate is trying to solve is creation of data sets that don't exist today number one and creating them in high fidelity and being able to frequently refresh them and so the idea here is that, you know, you look at satellite imagery and there's a lot of disparity in how the world is covered. You know, you can, you can look at Chicago and Austin and Florida and New York, and you'll see pretty high definition, reasonably frequently updated satellite imagery, right? Good enough for mapping, so on and so forth. But you go over, you know, countries in Asia, India, Pakistan, Philippines, you go down to Australia. There are a lot of places where the coverage is very poor. It's much lower fidelity, and it doesn't get refreshed for years and years. And there are also places in the U.S. that, that go through that, but you know, it's a lot starker outside of the U.S. So the idea with, with Navigate was to enlist the community into building a map of the world and having the same people who are building the map frequently refresh it. Oh. Because, you know, you drive down from point A to point B every day, and you're essentially not only mapping that, but you are now creating a whole time lapse of how that space evolves over a period of time. I mean, just from your house to your, let's say, you know, you drive to work. That's really the, the primary goal behind Navigate in, you know, creating and curating that data set, because that data is very valuable and it allows us to unlock a lot of features that can make our lives easier and, and more productive. 
you're telling me I could totally see how that would impact like the real estate market worldwide. People wouldn't need to travel around the world to find the deals because if you use Google Maps right now, Street View is a couple of years old. I mean, just the city that yeah. I live in, city where you live, exactly. everything's changed. Yeah. In fact, uh, you know, I was just checking out Street View the other day. And and like you said, it's uh, it's already downtown Austin was covered, I think, January 2022 or something like that. So you see a lot of construction happening. And I mean, that's that's long done now. And there's new construction happening now. So being able to find things like where construction is popping up, where construction is done, those are just some use cases where navigation becomes easier, right? Because now you know that there's a construction crew that was that's here, that wasn't here yesterday, so on and so forth. But more than that, it's also you get to analyze a lot of pattern of life behavior. You get to understand and be able to predict how the Starbucks that is around my house, how crowded that is at different times of day. Yeah. And when would I be be likely to, to go there and not have any cars in front of me or have two cars or three cars in front of me than, than anything else? So you're able to get a lot more detailed information and you're able to you know use that information and data to then create more accurate predictive models. Okay, so, and now when you said earlier about rewarding the folks who are not only creating it, but are adding in real time, I could see how now the value of someone who has behavior that's consistent, and then you can kind of like map that and map relationships and things like that. You're talking about like a huge next level of privacy. How do you protect, how do you, if I'm contributing to that, how do I know from like the outset that, my movements are being protected and not being watched in real time by by some third party. Right. So one of the ways that we do that is we're not, Navigate is purely a software play. So we don't do any hardware. The way that we get all of this contributed imagery is through dash cams and drones. And we're looking at releasing a, a phone app here as well. But you choose what data to upload. And then whatever data you do upload gets anonymized. We remove all of the, the PII data that's in there, like people's faces, people in some cases, you know, license plates, so on and so forth. Then there's the option of always being able to go to the Navigate website. And if you do see something that you feel shouldn't be there, you can request that it be taken down. And then we kind of look at that and make sure that that request is legit. Very similar to how Google handles requests on Street yeah. Field, for example. You can ask them to, to blur your house and so on and so forth. I'm looking, I'm just on your web, I'm trying to look for the, for the. Well, you have a marketplace now that's already set up that people can contribute data. Yes. Like what, I want to know, I have a drone. So the flow goes like this. You contribute images, whether they're drone images or dash cam imagery, and you get Navigate tokens as a reward. The Navigate token is not listed or tradable anywhere right now. Okay. That's something we're looking into. But what you can do on the marketplace is redeem these tokens for real tangible things like a Nordstrom gift card or a you know REI gift card and so on and so forth. The reason we wanted to do that, by the way, was because you don't build a platform like this without onboarding lots of people. And all of those people are not in Web3 yet. So this is the, you know, the, the quintessential Web3 problem of making onboarding easy and relatable to the folks who are not Web3 native. And so the, the marketplace allows us to do some of that where it's a very tangible thing of, hey, you contribute imagery and look, you can, you can get gift cards and you can go and buy real stuff. 
Um, that's really smart. Because yeah, it's cool. Yeah, because contribution itself is is very old and it's frequently been done, and a lot of applications use it. I mean, Google reviews is all crowdsourced contribution. Waze, the entire app runs on crowdsourced contribution. Yeah, uh, you can look at a lot of popular hiking apps. They all run on crowdsourced contribution, but usually the the crowd doesn't get much out of it. Other than, you know, obviously data that they themselves are building. So the idea was, how do you give back a little more to the community that's helping you create the platform in the first place? It's so it's so interesting that, yeah, with Waze, everyone, I never understood this because I don't use Waze. I don't drive anymore much. And, but I, when I'm in Ubers, I do notice that they're like, Uber drivers are so like, What's the word I'm looking for? They're so assertive in making sure that they let everyone know where other police cars are. And hmm. I never was like, what's the motivation? You're it's not for you. You're it's for other people. But it's like you know that if some people are doing it, then other people are doing it. And it creates this like yeah. common bond for not wanting to get speeding tickets. It's such a hmm. unique human thing. I love it. It's a it's a community <laughs> aspect. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> Well, you're right. Hiking apps are the same way. Um, they're constantly being updated in real time. Paths, biking paths. It's a wonder why you don't have other. But I, you're right. There's no incentive for the big, you know, Apple Maps, Google Maps, Bing Maps, or whatever other mapping software people use. There's like, there's no incentive for them to, to do something like this. So you almost have to build it from the ground up. Right. Because they already have a, a large enough data set. And they they have the infrastructure. What's the website for the with the marketplace? The Marketplace website is just marketplace.nvga.io. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Charlie. It was great talking to you. It was awesome. Thank you so much. 